Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. I'm excited to introduce today's guest who has been as influential as any prep baseball coach in New England. Starting in the 1990s at Buckingham Brown and Nichols, Rick Forrestair helped make the New England boarding school route a comparable experience for baseball players as it already was for a sport like hockey. Now the head coach at Thayer Academy in Braintree, Massachusetts, Forrestair has helped his players continue their respective careers at schools like Vanderbilt, Penn State, South Carolina, Dartmouth, Harvard, Yale, Brown, as well as every NESCAC school. Rick, thank you so much for joining us in studio. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now we met, uh, I don't know if you remember, we met like four or five years ago um, and we were doing a story on the impact of prep school baseball yeah. in New England. Uh, and I know you played at BBNN and then spent 25 years working and coaching uh, there before making the jump to Thayer Academy. Um, how would you say the prep school experience has evolved over that time over the last 30 years or so? Oh, yeah, it's been it's really been great to see. Um, you know, I remember, you know, we had some good players, you know, back when I was when I was there back in the 80, early 80s. And uh, there was always good players, but the league wasn't known for. Um, there's a hotbed for college coaches to recruit, et cetera. Uh, it was the biggest thing at that point was the hockey. Um, obviously, all of prep schools have dramatically changed athletically as far as how, how impactful all the sports have, have become. But baseball, I can remember when I first took over, you know, after I got out of college, I went right back to BBN and, and started on an internship program in coaching. And then a few years later, I was lucky enough to take over. And I was lucky. I had some good players. I was coaching AAU at the time, where AAU was a lot different than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I had some good players. And but it was a different league. Um, it was. I remember out of the sixteen schools in the ISL, I could probably at that time circle maybe four games a year that really would concern me. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, boy, did that change over the years. And. Uh, uh, I really have enjoyed watching the the coaches group work together. Um, we're a group that's very close knit. I've always felt it was important. I wanted to grow the league. I didn't want it to be that just we had, we were very top heavy, mm-hmm. and that we wanted as many teams to be as good as they could be, and it would draw more kids and different type talent to the league. And I would argue now um, that it's you know one of if not the top recruited you know, collegiate leagues, uh, in the region. And, uh, that to me is a tribute to the schools, the coaches and how and everybody really stepped up, took baseball a lot more serious. It grew and the prep school route became a great, great way for kids, you know, to reach reach their goals and dreams. So, uh, I'm very proud of the league and it's probably, probably the, the biggest thing that besides all my players and people I've contacted with, I'm just really proud of, of the league and how it's grown and also all of prep school baseball. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've always worked together as groups. We play a lot of non-league games um, and getting other programs uh, to, to grow, grew as well, which was great to see even going back to the days of Florida trips and matching up with schools like Salisbury and Avon Old Farms and things like that. So it's just been a great journey. And uh, I'm really proud to see where the state of prep school baseball is today. Yeah, you mentioned the ISL as one of the top leagues. And if you look at the commitments that kids make for colleges, it's just impressive. You know, how many Division One and even Division Two, Division Three prospects end up, you know, from the ISL continuing their careers in college. Uh, your vision when you started, you wanted you didn't want it to be top heavy. You wanted the depth throughout, you know, all the teams to be good in the ISL, which has really happened 
it's one thing to have that vision, but you, you know, you mentioned Florida trips and uh, training facilities improving. What were some of the things when you initially had that vision that you think needed to improve for the conference to become deeper? Well, I think the biggest thing was that, you know, emphasis from schools and as coaches, you know, is the coaches, the seriousness the coaches really wanted to take it, you know, um, how seriously, like, I think it was sort of an, when I first started, there was plenty of good coaches, but um, it was different, Uh, you know, in general, you you know, coaches didn't wear uniforms, coaches weren't coaching the bases, Um, it was a little bit of a, an extra sport to coach in some ways. Not that they didn't love baseball, but it wasn't out. People weren't out there attracting players, coaching AAU, you know, recruiting actually kids yeah. to their program. Uh, so it was a little bit different. So it, for, for just over time, it evolved that more guys really got engaged. Uh, schools hired real quality people. And, uh, and we just kind of grew together as a unit, how to support each other. Information about more schools started to go on trips. Um, and, and we really just had a really strong collaborative effort in what we were trying to, what we were trying to do. And, and as that was, it, it, just, it just continued to just continue to grow. And it was just really an emphasis point. Yeah, I remember when I was doing that story, those Florida trips, uh, a few of the other coaches credited you as really the person who started that for prep school baseball teams around New England is that you travel, you know, just like the college programs do, and you'd go down there and you'd play real competitive baseball. How did that come about, and what was the process like to get that started? Yeah, it was it was kind of funny. It was obviously when I was back at BB, and that was a long time ago. I mean, it's been uh, it's almost probably 20 years ago now. And um, we were actually building our new athletic facility, which was – so we weren't even going – with the time, we were really short on as far as field space and a gym and uh, – I actually called over to uh, uh, Joe Walsh, um, who, who, a dear friend of mine, who sadly passed early, who was the former, you know, uh, head coach at Suffolk and Harvard University, and uh, great guy. And he recommended I go to a place and was actually down in, outside of Miami. It was an interesting trip to say the least. But that's why we went. We said, you know, we're not we're not getting enough done. We got a full week. We've got we're not in school. Kids wanted to go. I had a good group to go, and. Uh, and, and it just took off. And eventually, you know, we ended up having almost all of our varsity and JV kids. I was averaging probably 35-plus kids a year would go. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, it was just a matter of the space, the locations. Nowadays, it's quite a bit different because so many more schools have the field turf, so you can get more done even in the month of March. You know, indoor facilities have improved in, in the Northeast, hitting tunnels, hitting cages, all that stuff. So it's it's not I – don't, I don't find it to be for schools sort of as urgent – to go south now because of the upgrades in northern facilities. Um, but that that's really where it started was I basically, you know, we were like, I don't know where we're going to practice, you know, so uh, let's give it a shot. So and then we kept going. Yeah. And that and the COVID situation, obviously, the last few years has kind of impacted those trips too. Um, the indoor facilities, at when, when did that start to kind of happen? When did teams really start to make that commitment where you said, was it, you know, first you started getting the players, and then they said, well, hey, we need the facilities to keep up with uh, some of the top prospect schools in the nation, or did they, the facilities improve, and then you started getting the players? Um, I, well, I think in general it just was – there ends up being a little bit in the private. It was, it was sort of around a similar era. I mean, everybody built new facilities, you know, be it ranks, be it gyms, be it, you know – when they put in turf, sort of at a different pace, but it seemed, but it what it did happen quite a bit. Um, sort of school, a lot of schools did it. I would say in that 
in the 90s, you know, in the 90s when they started. Some are probably rebuilt even by now. Um, but there was just a bit bigger emphasis, I think it's probably on, uh, there was a big emphasis on athletics and athletic facilities in general and how they're enhancing and attracting families to want to go to their schools, just like, you know, schools emphasize a lot of emphasis on things like their theater or things like, you know, what their arts program looks like, uh, you know, classroom, all those type things that makes it a positive experience. So then turf, then turf obviously just really became, I remember when at BBM we were one of the first turf fields. We did it in conjunction with uh, Leslie University. And um, actually I was interviewed by uh, Catherine Tappan, which is kind of funny. Um, and um, it, it, you know, that was like, oh, turf, you know, now it's like, you know, it's crazy. You know, everybody it's just has everybody it, has it and yeah. all the colleges have it and it just continued to grow. Plus then as AAU programs got, you know, grew, a lot of those people really started focusing on what private indoor facilities would look like. And there were people investing in that so it could house their AAU programs, especially so they could train, you know, in the winter, which when I was younger, you know, there was very little baseball up here in the winter. You know, you were playing hockey or basketball, or whatever, and yeah. then just, all right, let's get the glove out, march, and, and go from there and play through the summer. But times dramatically changed because, uh, you know, most of the kids now, now if they're really into baseball, are pretty much involved year-round. Yeah, you see so many facilities around the, the club and travel, AAU. Everybody's got the indoor facilities now. Uh, I don't want to bury the lead. We talked beforehand uh, you've made the decision that this will be your last year um, at, with their academy, and then likely as a prep baseball coach. Uh, what I know you got two kids in college, and you, you're tracking them, and you and they're both playing sports, and you want to see that. What went into your decision uh, to make this your last season at there? Uh, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I, this this will be my 26th year as a head coach, so. I guess I'm getting a little old, but uh, <laughs> luckily I did start a little bit young. But the point is. Uh, um, I've decided in general um, that uh, I've been I've been an athletic administrator. Also, you know, I've been an athletic director for basically twenty years. I I was an associate athletic director for five years before that. So, twenty five years I've been in athletic administration prep school. It's been great. It's been a great journey, great run. My kids got a great private school education and all that stuff. Prepared them well for the next level. But I had just been saying at this time in my life, do I want to try something different? So, it was a combination of a lot of things. I just felt it was time. Where my age, I get you know, what that next chapter might look like. So I, I'm in the, I just decided it was time to really take the leap and, yeah. and give it a go. A little bit of nervous anxiety right now because I haven't officially decided what I will be doing. Uh, I come uh, July uh, as my, uh, my time at Thayer will, will, will conclude at the end of June. Uh, but uh, I'm excited about, it. but again, yeah, big factor was my, my, my kids. Uh, I'm lucky my daughter, they, they play locally. My daughter plays lacrosse at Roger Williams. My son is playing baseball at uh, Endicott College. And uh, I wanted a little more flexibility in what I'm doing. And if I was really going to commit the right way, as I always did, to being an athletic director and and a coach, uh, it's a lot of time. And it, and it takes up all your Saturdays. It's You're there late. It's tough to just skip out, you know, sometimes and organize your schedule around other things. And uh, so it was, it was just time. And, um, and we talked about it as a family. And... Uh, I'm excited about the decision. I'm excited to explore new things. Um, and uh, so I've been having some great chats with friends and seeing where my network and things like that might be of value to two different firms or different companies. And, and uh, so having some fun with it right now. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see how things go in the next month or so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll land on your feet. Uh, and that's great that you're going to take this time to see your kids. You know, you don't you don't get that back. So it's important that you're able to see them play college athletics. 
I do want, so leading into your last season, I want to kind of size up the ISL and find out uh, what your expectations are for the upcoming season. Um, how do you think the ISL stacks up? We always uh, reach out to coaches and tell them to rank the teams one through 10 or, you know, do those types of things. How, do, how are you looking at it heading into your last season? How do you think their stacks up and who are, who are some of the top teams that you think will be out there this spring? Yeah, to be honest, it's 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 a little bit difficult for us, I think any of the coaches, to really be able to gauge that because we really haven't had a legitimate season in two years. So uh, typical times I'd have a good idea of like, you know, who was top in the league the year before and then who has returning guys and things like that. Uh, I think it's difficult. I would say um, the depth in the league right now across the board, especially pitching, and pitching, as we all know, is the great equalizer. And especially in a sport like uh, baseball in the ISL, it's a little bit different than the publics because often they're playing three days a week. We play league games only twice a week. So if you have a couple real good arms, you know, you can you can be dangerous. So it's it, – the so, the, you know, I remember the year, our last season, I think – our last legitimate season, which was the spring of 2019, I think out of our 15 league games, we faced uh, 10 Division One commits. Wow! So it was it was a challenge. So I think that uh, overall, it, the league will be extremely deep. It's going to be week to week, game by game, and you just got to play it one at a time. We we don't have this year yet uh, a playoff system, which uh, so it really makes every game almost like a tournament game. Uh, but uh, hopefully, the league, which I'm. Um, real excited about and we would have already started it we'll be going to a playoff format in the spring of 23 uh it's just because of covid we couldn't we couldn't launch it which i think will be dynamite for the league and exciting for the league and uh so like i said a ton of talent great coaching um and i I, you know i this i could listen to traditional top teams but you know it's it's pretty wide open yeah it is difficult with you know you haven't seen half of these guys in the isl in two years that is that does make it tough. I didn't realize that uh, the playoff system was kind of in the works. You always hear people saying that they should have it. Where where along in the process is that? We would have we would have had it. We yeah. would have been it would have been the spring of twenty one. Okay. It would have kicked. But then when we lost twenty and going through it, we decided as a league that going back into how you, when you roll over schedules so that for all the sports, we decide just revert back to the, going back to the spring that to keep the cycle going, yeah. we went back to the, that spring and said, let's wait on that. And then it'll get passed officially by the athletic directors. And then it'll, it'll kick in. Like I said, should it should kick in uh, the spring of 23. So I'm excited about that format. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny though, because even like my own team, I've got to see them last year, but we, how we did everything, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see, but it's kind of new. I've got a lot of guys who, uh, I'm still getting familiar with and are still young and, and haven't really played a full ISL season yet with how we like to do things. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting. So even my guys, I think we have some talent, but I'm even looking forward to uh, – I know we have some talent, very strong junior class. Um, you know, what they're even going to look like when they get into serious, you know, competition yeah. when, when everything's on the line. That's different, yeah, than practicing indoors or anything yeah, else. Yeah. Um, what, what did you think of Austin Prep uh, deciding to to go the prep school route? To, I I haven't talked to a lot of coaches about that. What did you think about that? I think it could be a you know a, a really good opportunity for them. You know they're not, they won't, they're in NEPSAC, so they joined the New England Prep School Athletic Council. Right. So uh, I'm not sure if they're looking to join a league. Um, 
uh, they're not members of the ISL, uh, but they might, I don't know if they're going to look to be independent or maybe jump in with the Evergreen or one of those leagues. Uh, but it could be a great opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, they, they're in a good location. Um, they, they have some nice facilities they put in, I know. Um, and, uh, you know, NEPSAC was excited to have them jump in. It's another school to try and get on the schedule for non-league competition for our end of things. And uh, they'll have an opportunity if they qualify to participate in New England Prep School Championship play. So right. I wish them the best. Yeah, I thought I, – I talked to their AD, and I think they were going to kind of just do a trial year and then figure out where they fit in league-wise. But, um, yeah, that was interesting. That I, um, A lot's changing here in the last couple of – of years definitely um now i wanted to talk to you you mentioned pitchers uh you know are the strength obviously in the isl and i know you reached out to some coaches around the region to see what everybody has back because um you know you haven't had a chance to see everybody in the last couple of years who do you think are some of those top t- uh pitchers that you might face this year yeah i mean i had you know i have a little list i put together just because i you know i asked my uh fellow coaches because uh, again some of these guys i haven't even really seen uh, yet so uh, but yeah, some strong guy. Groton has a couple arms. AJ Colarusso, uh, senior left-hander, committed to Boston College. Yeah. Uh, Sam Harris, senior left-handed pitcher, going to Babson. Uh, Milton uh, um, has uh, uh, Will Boards going to senior right-handed pitcher, going to Bowden. Uh, Govs, uh, Jack Levine, senior right-handed pitcher, committed to Navy. Uh, Kenny Henney, uh, junior left-handed pitcher, committed to Richmond. Uh, uh, Belmont Hill is a real strong third baseman who's committed to Wake, Jack Winnie. Um, BBNN has a couple young players who are good players, shortstop Alex Sandell and, and Matt Hirsch, a right-handed pitcher. Roxbury Ladin, uh, Coach Garazula has a real good shortstop. Uh, Mark Hansen committed to Brown. Antonio Morales, a junior center fielder, committed to Wake Forest. Middlesex, real good player, Kyle Wolf, first base left-handed pitcher. He's a senior, committed to Boston College. Uh, Rivers, Don Morelli, senior pitcher. He's had senior outfielder, sorry, committed to the University of Rochester. St. Sebastian's, Jack Toomey, senior center fielder, committed to BC. Mm-hmm. So some real talent, as you can tell. And then uh, Lawrence Academy, James Agabidi, senior shortstop, committed to Tulane. Jack McLaughlin, senior pitcher, outfielder, committed to Tufts. Liam Yardley, senior catcher, uh, committed to Bates. And then I have um, my my pitching's deepest in the junior class, so I have a lot of them. I won't mention all of them, but but our top senior pitcher is a, a left-hander, a very good left-hander, uh, Griffin Gibbs from Plymouth, Mass, and he's committed to uh, FIT. He's oh, heading down to Florida. So that's great. Yeah, you hear all those commitments. It's amazing how many of those guys are already locked in for college and you know going to be playing high-level baseball. So that's that's definitely impressive. Um, in terms of the the D one prospects going uh, coming out of these prep schools, uh, I know you've had a lot. You've, Rhett Weissman was one of the best prep school players ever, you know, in New England. He went to BBNN. Uh, which players that you've coached really stand out, and when did you really start to get a sense? Hey, you know, the prep school route is becoming the way to go if you want to play this high level D one baseball. Yeah, I, it was funny. I was it's kind of a funny story. It was back before AU, and I, I was when I first took over. Uh, my top pitcher was Greg Hennig, whose dad was John Hennig, the newscaster, right? So yeah. it's good, good arm. And he had said, Rick, we have this kid. He's from Boston, back bay. So not, not anything gets back bay, but typically you're not a, a factory of baseball talent. So oh, you yeah. got this kid, Zach Farkas. He's really good. Um, we get, you got to see him. So I saw him. He was in middle school. And I said, I'm coaching AU. I want you to play for me. He went to his parents and said, I want to go play for Coach Forrester and play travel ball this summer. Parents are like, who is this guy? You know, what's going on? It's going to mess up our summer plans and all this. And that was it. And then so 
Zach ended up going to Harvard, drafted by the Red Sox. Uh, and he, another boy, guy came around that time, uh, Josh Sabar, who went on center field, and he went on to play at Yale. And best high school hitters I've seen uh, were Josh Klumpkowitz. And I had a lot of other guys, and Josh went on to play at Harvard as well. Phenomenal. They, so Zach, Zach and Josh were actually my middle infield and Zabar. They, they kind of became known. We called them the big three. Um, and back then, showcases were quite a bit different. So, like, the big ones then, it was like you, you had top 96 yeah. was a legit top 96 to get in. And um, um, the Lynn Invitational was a big deal. For, that's where a lot of the college called, where they were highly attended by college guys. And those guys went, and they just looked the part. And all of a sudden, people went, whoa, who are these guys? You know, and no one knew about them. And so it just ended up, we got other kids to grow with them. They went to the right schools, and then... Uh, a lot of schools started following that route, how to make sure their kid's in the right program to get the right recognition. They go into the right showcase, and some are going to the perfect game, area coach tryouts, things like that. Yeah. So then it just, then it just for my end anyway, at BBN, uh, it just ended up being a tradition where we had, you know, countless kids who, who you know, were great players and, and did great things, were good students, and, and what was made it – uh, frankly, really easy for me to help place them at, at top level schools. But we, but it's a game tradition. How do you prepare? And that's kind of how prep school baseball evolved. That more kids started doing that. They wore the uniforms right. You know, they went out and did pregame correctly. You know, not wearing hats backwards and you know and things like that. Uh, and uh, and they started to showcase and look the part. And then a lot of those kids were playing Legion. They were meeting other kids. Were playing at top public school programs. And uh, yeah, it was interesting to see. But the, the Farkas family is probably the first. That was the first group because it was funny that Zach was the oldest, went to Harvard. Then the next was Josh, and he went on to play at UConn, had a great career there, then played independent pro. Then the next brother went on to play. He was a very good baseball player, but played quarterback at UMaine. And then the next brother uh, was a four-year starting catcher captain at Penn State. Wow. So they were funny. They were a great family. They all went through a long long way with me so yeah it's it it fun to see. It's great when you get a family like that to go through your, your system. I could change <laughs> yeah. everything. The New England Baseball Journal podcast will be back after these words. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division 1, 2, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. 
Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Now, uh, you you mentioned having guys placed, uh, which, you know, you, that it's a, all a big part of the recruiting process. And I know how involved you are in it from start to finish. Um, part of it, like you said, is going to the right showcases, going to the right events, the right tryouts, area code tryouts, things like that. Um, part of it is dressing the part, looking the part when you're when you're going on the field. What does that process look like for you, like your involvement in the recruiting process? What is it like, you know, start to finish? Yeah, so each kid's a little bit different. So what usually typically what I'll do, it depends on where that kid. So you brought up like a rat. So I knew Rhett, and we knew he was probably right away, you know, by the end of his even freshman year, but definitely early on sophomore year that he was a Division One guy. So he was a kid that we wanted to make sure we had the right, you know, situation early um, because those commits, that type player, that commit, I mean, it's happened even even then, but now kids are signed to get, you know, verbal commits earlier, right? So right. there's certain kids you need more evaluation time. So each kid's a little bit different on my end, but it, it worst case scenario, what I do is I'll meet with every all the juniors. I'll have a meeting with who want to play at the next level. I'll have a meeting with preseason. And then those those guys will talk about where I think they are right now. We take their athletic, with their academic profile, whatever they have for testing, start to match out that up to see which schools might be doable or not, you know, where we sh- wouldn't be in the equation. Uh, and then we'll say, let's let's target this group. What region are you interested in? Do you want to stay local? Do you want this? Blah, blah, blah. And then we'll end up putting together for them, they put together basically their athletic resume. Uh, we'll make sure that's pumped out to where coaches they want that sent to. Uh, we'll talk about making sure that what their summer schedule looks like. We'll send out our spring schedule to coaches. Often coaches can't really get too often to our to our spring games, but they will towards the end of the year. Then we'll re-meet come the end of that season with parents as well, and that'll all have a better evaluation. And then we might agree to disagree from time to time, but you know that's when I'll kind of say, I think you're a Division three player. These are the schools I think you should target looking at your academic profile. Uh, usually that's where we go. I think you have a real you got a chance to be a Division One guy. Let's keep the net big right now. Yeah. You're gonna have to be a big summer, so let's focus on these schools. Uh, make sure they're in the right program, and then typically that kid who's a junior has made it. You know, has either been committed to that summer going into senior year, or has decided where they're applying early decision by September. Yeah, you said uh, you mentioned the difficult conversations, and I was just picturing while you were describing the process, I was thinking of parents. You know, you get in the room and hey. The, I think Division Three is the best route, and I could see there being some pushback. <laughs> well, do those conversations ever get ugly, or what? What are those conversations typically like? <laughs> uh, no, you know, I've been, I, I, in general, I've been pretty blessed with, you know, I think parents over the years. I think what's good with, I think when if you have a traditionally strong program, you know, it, it helps because no, no, you know, nobody, everybody can see they're seeing. If you're in a pool of talent that isn't very good and you're the one that stands out, you might think you're the next. Mike you, Trout. Or, yes. Yeah. But when you start to, when you grow up in a program, you see what the real top level Division One guy looks like. Uh, I think it's easier for people to settle into, oh, that's where so-and-so is going. That's probably more where I'm at as well. Right. Um, so I, I've, it's been it's been pretty good that way. Um, it, it's just, it can be disappointing because sometimes, and it was really tough on the class of 21, and it's even going to, you know, 
because of the COVID. You know, they couldn't get seen um, with the NCAA rule changes and the transfer rules and the fifth year allowed that the Division One level really got jammed up, which has helped, I think, quite a bit. You know, a lot of schools in between that in between group, and especially at the Division Three level, mm-hmm. uh, schools like you know the Wheaton's Endicott and all that, because a lot of kids who maybe got missed uh, trickled down. There was a trickle down effect, so those programs have a lot of guys right now who are very talented. But um, you know, it just it just it's one of those situations where um, it's the recruiting process each year is different. But I'm hoping for this group it's starting to calm down and go back or make it a little bit easier, especially for the 20, you know, the 23s, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it was tough on the 22s as well because they just weren't getting seen. I know. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, even like Rhett uh, Weissman. I remember talking to him early days of the pandemic, like, what are you going to do? You're in minor league baseball and, you know, there's not they're not playing minor league baseball right now. And I feel bad for a, a guy like him, but you're right. You know, you feel bad for everybody, the 21s, the 22s. Um, the one thing, you know, that you have seen a little bit in the last year or two is guys staying at school, maybe even like D3, D2 guys that stay in a school for four years and then they transfer for that fifth year, get a master's, then also maybe get a chance to play D1 baseball. That's been maybe, you know, one of the positives to take out, but it's been a difficult uh, couple of years for sure. Do you think that uh, played in your decision to uh, leave after that or to walk away after this year or, or to retire after this year from coaching? Uh, no, no, I, no, I, 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 it was mainly, I wasn't, if I was staying as the athletic director, I was going to keep planning on coaching. Okay. Uh, one of my assistant coaches, uh, Jim Pierce, he's been with me the whole time. He's a Thayer alum, played college ball, great guy, great coach, coaches at the Boston Prospects. And we had already had a plan uh, that, you know, I, I was going to help him out and he was going to be, you know, he was still, so I wanted to stay involved. I yeah. wanted to help kids, help, help navigate the college process still you know i do a lot it was be jimmy show but i was going to be there to help guys some individual stuff because i always want to stay involved in coaching i will forever uh but it was time i want to step out of the head roll because i just didn't feel i was committed right now to make put in the time that's needed to have the program where it needs to be where i want to be you know and like you say yeah i mean but it it was no that didn't play into it i i just saw the it wasn't it was never nothing negative but i know like i had a very good team the spring of 20, which yeah. never got to play. So, like, I had a uh, kid, Jack Thorborn, outstanding player, he, you know, committed to Northeastern. And then he went to Northeastern his first year, and it was like new kids transferring in, a lot of bodies, mm-hmm. you know. It was tough on those kids. I, one of my center fielder kid, Colin Plant, outstanding at UMaine. Uh, he was slated to go right in, one of the top three guys, and then two transfers came in. And, you know, and it's tough. It was tough on, it's tough in a lot of different ways for different kids. Even the 20s who committed, there was a little log jam when they got there oh, yeah. with who was deciding to take their fifth year and things like that. But, but like I say, it'll – It'll even out. It'll even out in a few years. But it's definitely been a tough run for those guys. But no, I, my my decision was more based on time, where I wanted to channel more energy and what I wanted to do. You know, um, focus more on which now I've decided more. That's completely different career path. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the level of play uh, and improving so much in prep over your career, and then also. Uh, the indoor facilities are coming, you know, everybody's got the indoor facilities now and uh, the Florida trips were a big thing, obviously, you know, earlier in the 2000s. Um, how have you managed? Because now, I, you know, it is it is more of a year out thing where guys are, you know, the strength training and you see the technology with the Rapsodo and everything else. How have you managed to keep up uh, with all of that that's kind of new to the game in the last 20 years or so? 
Well, for me, I've stayed, you know, I've always still coached at the AAU. So I, I was with GBG, with Paul's group and, and Welsh's group, you know, uh, when my son was younger. And they they actually opened a, uh, had another facility in Carver. So I live in Plymouth, so it was convenient. So when they opened that, I started coaching a team with them and working with them. And then I jumped over to the Boston Prospects, uh, Pete Maroka's organization, which is uh, um, they do their indoor training at Duxbury and use fields in that area and use there quite a bit for, you know, when they get into game mode. Uh, so being involved in the travel piece the whole time um, was made it really easy as far as keeping up with, you know, where we should be, where yeah. kids should go, you know, off-season strength programs, you know, and there's a lot of real strong people out there offering sports-specific training now. It's quite a bit different than my day, you know, sand weights down in the basement and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. So it's like, you know, quite a bit different. So, you know, there's a lot of options for the kids if they want to take advantage of it, you know. So through the AAU and also just my role as an athletic trainer, I get, you know, as an athletic trainer, you get solicited by a lot of people for a lot of athletic-inclined products, and a lot of that is obviously strength training and different products to enhance uh, good or bad, enhance their, their skill sets. But, you know, uh, so it, that really helped quite a bit to stay stay up to speed with it. But uh, it, it's it, even that's even that business is evolving. You know, I've seen over the years what type of strength training compared to what we did in college yeah. compared to now. It's just it's it's night and day, and especially in the world of baseball. Yeah. You know, I you know. Uh, it's incredible just to see, even up watching my son his freshman year, just when he went in for fall ball and compared to coming back from winter break, you know, he gained almost 15 pounds of muscle, you know, yeah. of just they get in a program, these guys know what they're doing. You know, in the old days, you shied away from it. You didn't want it, you know, you didn't want to put on muscle and be a baseball player, and, and that that's dramatically changed. You want to do it the right way, but that's what's out there now, a lot of product to help do that. Yeah, and everybody, every one of these like indoor travel facilities seem to have some offshoot of Cressy Sports Performance now too in the Northeast. Everybody's yeah, exactly got yeah. their hand in it. Um, so one of the things that was pretty cool for me, at least when uh, we met the first time, um, we got together. We got together with about five other prep That's school right, coaches. Yeah. I think it was uh, John Toffee. Um, Dan Donato, you know, a bunch of the bigger guys uh, throughout, or the most influential guys. Yeah, we had uh, Chris Margraf from Lawrence. Yes. Was there, Mike Grant from Belmont Hill. Yeah. And uh, Toff and uh, Coach uh, Coach Graber from Andover who's done a phenomenal job up there as well. So that was oh, great yeah. for me. That was a great group. That was fun. And then, uh, what, what really struck me, so we had to go somewhere afterwards so I could interview everybody. Yeah. And it was, uh, it, you could tell that everybody is so competitive and your trades, who are, who are your top guys? Oh, let me tell you this story about, and it was fun to listen to that and uh, to get that exposure. But you could tell those are, those are some pretty intense coaching rivalries around New England and in the ISL. Uh, what, who, who do you kind of credit for helping to set the bar? You mentioned some other coaches helped raise the level of play. And then uh, are there, uh, do these rivalries ever get heated or intense or, you know, what, what is it like coaching against some of those guys? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we had, well, that group's a funny group because I, when I was at BBN especially, and I still do now, but you know, we, I want to, I need to enhance our schedule as far as games played because twice a week just wasn't enough, you know, cause you, you so we, we were able to secure traditional games with like Andover and, and non-league games to get us because I always wanted to play at least three a week. Yeah. Um, so it was great. So you started to, you know, it was different because it wasn't league play, but if it was a good program, people knew it was about, you wanted to, you really wanted to get after it. So Andover was always on our schedule for years and years. Um, and then for my end of it, you know, our biggest rival 
uh, biggest rival. It changed a little bit at time, but uh, in general, year in year out, from when I started, was was Belmont Hill. Right. Uh, they were right near nearby. It was the last game of the year, probably in my nineteen years as a head coach at BBN. I would bet at least fifteen of them. That game meant something yeah. as far as who was going to win it or come in second or knock someone out of being undefeated, and that became a really fun fun rivalry. Um, so I go way back with Mike and going back to Eddie Gallagher as a legendary Belmont Hill uh, coach. Um, and then, you know, then the other, but you put it depending on anything like Chris Margraff at Lawrence, like that was during Rhett's time was like, was with Beatty. And yeah, yeah. so those guys, you know, that was wild. So that was like, here, here comes, you know, here they come. And then they both ended up going to Vanderbilt. Yeah. And uh, uh, those were some crazy games. So that was a real intense game, obviously for those years. Uh, Cause usually it was, you know, three of us or four of us in that mix of who's going to, you know, win the title that year. So if you lost, it's like tough. <laughs> then he goes back to some great rivals. You played games back when Matt McGurk was the coach at Thayer Academy. You know, my he was the AD at Thayer before me and good dear friend of mine and the baseball coach. He had Kyle McKenzie who went down and played pro ball, played at Tulane. He had some really good players played. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it can change. For my end of it, changed a little bit. But then like Danny, I knew Dan Donato, he was at Salisbury and built a powerhouse down there. And we would only cross cross paths in Florida and we made sure we'd always play and we played it legit and we had we had we had some intense games down there but then Danny moved up to Dexter and was building that program which of course he's done a nice job great job with and then we started playing a rivalry game at Harvard Stadium mm-hmm. uh, coach Walsh at the time helped us out it was really kind of cool because we always it was like a typically like a Friday afternoon game with big crowds coming to see some some of the top talent playing at Harvard Stadium and and watch those guys grow so it, it's it's you know, like I say, it's tough. Then I knew Coach Toffee going because going way back, I coached against him oh, when yeah. he was at Saint Sebastian's, and then uh, so I watched his career. And then he ended up getting into coaching. He was actually with uh, Danny, and then he took over Salisbury. Of course, did a great, great, great job. And then when he was coming up to. Um, is it Cheshire? Cheshire. Yeah. We played them in Florida, and then he came and was basically building that Winchenden program from scratch. Oh, yeah. And so you know, we we got them right on the right away on the schedule, and hoping he could, you know, he's taken some guys from my prospects organization, which is good, you know, from AAU, and you know, he's doing a great job up there with a with a, with a ton of talent. Yeah, and you you had a chance to coach your son James, uh, who is now at Endicott. Uh, we did a story, and I was go- kind of preparing for this interview going back and reading quotes and this was a really cool quote um for any son to say about his father but he said it about you in the story here it is uh attention to detail is everything to him from how you stretch in practice how you run on and off the field how each drill and practice must be executed correctly and especially his favorite how infield outfield is performed all the little things matter and without them you will never succeed I always think of coaching your kid as kind of a landmine, you know, you can run into all kinds of issues. And for him to feel that way about you uh, at the end of his playing career for you, and now he's playing in college, that must be pretty cool feeling. What was that like? Uh, what was the experience of coaching your son like? There were ups and downs. My, you know, my son is funny. He always loved it, you know, but he grew up with it. So, you know, he was like a bat boy. He was around like those guys, the guys I mentioned earlier from from BB were like you know legends to him, you know. So yeah. and they were always great to him. He'd always been the Florida trips, you know, as a little guy. So, but any father coach son relationship has its ups and downs, right? <laughs> and he was, you know, and he um, and he was. I always give him credit because he wasn't like when he was in Little League, he was a good player, but it wasn't like a guaranteed. He's 
top all-star pick. You know what I mean? Uh, but he just kept plugging. I said, if you love it, just keep playing. And uh, and it's been a fun ride. You know, it's it's been fun. And, and, and uh, we, we have a very strong relationship. And, um, you know, it was sad to see him go. And I, I, it was sad, to be honest. It was very disappointing and sad for both of us because – after all those years, you know, when he, you know, when he's a catcher and he had watched these guys and then he was, as a sophomore, he was more the backup catcher. I had a, a good guy then. Uh, he got some time, non-league action and stuff. But then he had a very, really strong sophomore year. But his junior year was, was like Nothing the year right. he's finally taken over and kind of being my captain behind the plate and uh, we never had it so it was a tough couple of years but but we had a lot of fun still traveling and traveling in the summer you know going through the recruiting process visiting different schools and uh like you say any of those really but i uh him and i have a really good uh really really good bond and uh makes me a little sad but it's uh he's getting you know they're all big kids <laughs> but it's great uh, that he's still playing you yeah know, yeah he's gonna keep working but yeah he got, I mean, because, yeah, it costs so many kids an opportunity to play in college. So it's great that he is uh, going to have four more years to play. Now, what I, I want to talk to you a little bit about your career. What made you uh, make the switch from BBNN to Thayer Academy? What 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 made you leave um, BBNN, your, uh, your alma mater, I should yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. It really had to do primarily with a family-related family. I, I moved down. To, I've been living in Plymouth, Mass. for about 20 years, and I was commuting to Cambridge every day. Oof. Now, as an individual, my position, how I could do it, I could, I could make it work. But as my daughter, she's she's a little bit older than my son. They're thirteen months apart. As she was, we were looking at private. I'm like, there's no way we're not going to send our kids to private school if they have the capability of doing it and being in it the business this long. So we were kicking around. She was starting to do her application process. Uh, my dad's still alive. Uh, was living in Melrose in the time, still is, uh, which was close to BBN. So he said, "All right, we don't want to sell. We love Plymouth. Their mom was uh, teaching in that area, et cetera, et cetera." So we were like, "Okay, we'll make it work. I'll stay a few nights a week in Melrose with them, so they can get the commute and all that." Would have been not a good situation. It ended up a time Matt McGurk, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. was a good friend of mine, had told me that he was stepping away from the role. Would I be interested in looking at it? Uh, it would save me quite a bit of time in the commute, going from you know Plymouth to Braintree is a straight shot up Route 3. Um, uh, commuter rail access for the kids, which was convenient. So I, it was it was bittersweet. It was tough. But I said, I need to take a look. Sort of where I am in life now. I said, also, all I've done my entire life is BBN. I basically went to BBN for five years. I went to college for four, and then I went back to BBN for 25. So I was like, maybe a new challenge. There was a lot of new things they were doing that I was excited to be part of. You know, during that time, you know, putting in new baseball field, new turf fields, we ended up building a new hockey rink, all good fun projects that I wanted, I was excited to be a part of. And I just looked at it for family wise, it was the right move. And, uh, and, and it was. So we, you know, like I said, I miss a ton of things about BBN, but um, all those relationships I, I'll have forever. And uh, Thea has been great to me and my family. And uh, we, we had a, we've had a nice run there as well. So it really had to do with. Overall, the reasoning, most of it had to do with a better situation overall for the family. That's good. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, I, when we did the story on your impact and your influence on uh, New England prep baseball a few years ago. You, I, I read the quote the other day that you said, um, you know, New England baseball has never been stronger. Just uh, more kids going off and playing D1, more kids getting drafted. Last year's draft was crazy. We had, you know, Josh Baez from Dexter and a couple other high school guys and then like 15 guys in the first 10 rounds, which was a record for New England. 
do you still feel like um, it's it's at that level in New England or is it still growing or how, how would you describe the New England baseball scene as a whole? I think it's still growing. I'd have to say, you know, it's, I don't, I, what, what I like to, what I've been really enjoy seeing is I think that the, the emergence across the board of kids interest in the collegiate baseball, not just playing the te- how much television coverage there is now. I remember back in the day, it was really maybe the college world series, you'd catch a game, but you can catch games all the time. And I think it's interesting because with the, with the professional, with this lockout stuff, which, yeah, there's no doubt hurts the game. Uh, I think there are a lot of kids are gravitating quite a bit more towards that, really enjoying watching the college games and yeah. seeing like and naturally more of a legitimate for them goal, right? And they say, "Oh, that's right, I could see myself playing and things like that." Maybe it doesn't work, but uh, it's a lot of exposure there. But but I think it's going to continue to grow. I, I think it's um, it's 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 like I say, you go back to it's been over the years. I remember when Tyler was competing against my lefty. BD and uh, kid, I had Andrew Chin and went to BC and then he played with the Yankees. And, you know, you see two guys going at it like that. Um, and I could give you countless stories of those type battles that it's just going to continue to grow because, you know, it's being recruited by all nationally now. Uh, there was very little back in the day national recruiting of New England baseball players, frankly, mm-hmm. unless they were really like this like legendary guy. Um, so I think it's just going to continue. I think that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the AAU and travel can get a bad rap at some time, but there's a lot of good people running those organizations that care about the game and are putting kids in a good position to succeed. Uh, so I, I, I'm optimistic. I, you know, I, I don't see New England prep school baseball going anywhere anytime soon, that's for sure. No, yeah, and I think you're right. It does open a window for college baseball here with pro baseball, at least temporarily, you know, hopefully it's short-term uh, out of the way, but – um, yeah, I see, you know, even just on Twitter, everybody with these bat flips and highlights and everything else that's going on in the, co- going on in the college game, which you don't see every year, you know, so it is, it is pretty cool. Well, Rick, thank you so much, uh, for joining us coming in here right before your last season at their Academy and, um, good luck as you figure out the next step, but I'm sure it'll be something exciting that will be fulfilling for you. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was great. And uh, appreciate all that you guys are doing for all of prep school athletics. But, you know, especially as my baseball coach had on, it's really the baseball journal has been a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, thing for our kids and for our our league and uh, the continued promotion of uh, high school baseball as a whole, which is just uh, phenomenal. Well, thank you for saying that. And thank you for your impact on the game as well. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thanks to Thera Academy coach Rick Forrester for joining the pod. Our producer today is Steve Saffron. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast. Thanks again for listening.